thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Then our sermon passage back to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 34. It can be found on page 95 in the Bibles we provide. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that's on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd of a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist. Wear the linen turban, these are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on what to lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on what to lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. Shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil. But the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. In front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with it its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because their transgressions and all their sins. So he shall do for them the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for the house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall summon the blood of the bull and summon the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness, uncleanliness of the people of Israel. And when he made this an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And there it shall lay hands on the, the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in his readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. 
Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting, shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. He shall bathe his body in water in the holy place and put on the garments and come out, offer his burnt offerings and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought into make atonement in the holy place shall be carried out from outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever. Then the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It's a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement will be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all the sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, in this long account this detailed account, help us to see your grace and mercy for us in the midst of it. That even though you as the fulfillment of the law, that the law still has much to teach and train us about your love for us. Father, I pray that your spirit would be with us. Speak to us, open up our ears and our hearts and our minds because you alone have the words of eternal life. So we submit ourselves to you in Jesus' name, amen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, right? What's so funny about this holiday, you could argue it's probably the most celebrated holiday on the planet. I mean, all religions, all people, if you watch the ball drop, what do they do? They go to all these different time zones, and there's people whooping and hollering and yelling and screaming. I think there's a sense in which we all long for things to be made new. We all long for a second opportunity and a second chance. And what you're expecting today, here's the sermon you're expecting to get. I'm going to come up here. I'm going to give you some statistics about resolutions. Hey, here's the top 10 resolutions that most people make in 2023. And then I'm going to send another slide of statistics. And here's how quickly people don't do their resolutions. So by January 15th, this percent, that's what you're expecting to hear. You're not going to hear that. Because that is almost always followed up with this. Do better, try harder, this is your year, you're going to make it work, just grin and bear it and white knuckle your way through, you're going to get it this year. The truth is, if that's the message that we walked out with today, it would be of no value and no use to us, because by the time we get home, we've already screwed up. So what do we need to hear? We need to hear the law. And why do we need to hear the law? Because we need to understand how much we've been forgiven. We need to understand the grace and mercy that is ours in Christ Jesus. So we're going way off the reservation today to the book of Leviticus, the often skipped, never savored place where yearly Bible readings go to die. (laughs) If you make it through the first half of Leviticus, you're a better person than I am. That's all there is to it. Because this is God giving the ceremonial law to his people. And it feels like, oh, but Jesus has fulfilled the law. This is like useless. I don't need to deal with this anymore. 
And in one sense, yes, he's fulfilled the law, but it's in the Bible for a reason. There's a reason for us to look at it and study it and dig into it and dig deeply into it because this was God's way to say to his people how you interact with me. You want to know how you live among a holy God? You want to know how you interact with a holy God? Here it is. Here's a whole book of ceremonial law for you to follow. And it breaks up the first 15 chapters is all these laws about purity and sacrifices. And then it ends the book after chapters 18 to 27 or now. Now, because of all the sacrifices, this is how you should live. But in the middle of that is this beautiful day. This day that the Jewish people, even though they have Rosh Hashanah, which is you know, the Jewish New Year, this was the most important day in their life. Yom Kippur, you've heard that before, the Day of Atonement. The rabbis got to the point where they only called it the day. If I said to you, hey, you know, the day is coming, I have no idea what you think that would mean. Some of you are like, oh gosh, I'm getting fired. Oh gosh, something's going to get married. So there could be a lot to the Jewish people. If they heard the day, this is what they thought of. The Day of Atonement. And to understand it, we've got to dig in a little bit. This idea of atonement, 16 times the word translated atonement in the Hebrew is in this chapter. So we've got to understand what that even means. And the idea of atonement, it's to ransom or remove by paying a price. To ransom or remove by paying a price. So the questions we've got to ask are, ransom who, remove what? To ransom God's people, to ransom us, and to remove what? our sin, all of our sin. He removes and ransoms. A price is paid to make atonement for us. How important that is for us to get, how important that is for us to understand today what that looks like. And as we look through this, I want you to think about kind of three things. There's three things that are going to be going on, okay? There's the ingredients for forgiveness that we're going to get, there's the process for forgiveness that we're going to get. Then there's the outcome of forgiveness. So the ingredients, the process, and the outcome. And as we look at this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to dig deep into all that it takes for God's people to understand what forgiveness really was. Because this idea of atonement, this idea of all their sins, we find in verse 21, it talks about their sins and their transgressions. And their iniquities, all the different ways of sin. He's saying it's being covered on this day, in this moment, in this way. And I'm going to give you exactly how to do it. It was not left to chance. It was not left for interpretation. It was specific from God what to do. So first, the ingredients. Think of it like a recipe. You know, and I'm really bad with recipes. I'm not a great cook. I like to cook. I'm just bad at it. Like there's been times I'm either overly like overly licentious with like, ah, it doesn't really matter. Or I'm like overly legalistic with the recipe. I'll give you two examples. One, I made brownies one time for my family that were hard as a rock because I just kind of said, you know, a little of this and that's probably okay. And then the last time I tried to cook, I took me 45 minutes to chop an onion because I wanted to be very precise. It needed to be chopped just so. And they're like, are you still chopping onions? Are you seriously doing this? Here's the ingredients necessary for forgiveness. You need to have... Make your list. A priest, garments, a bull, a ram, two goats, incense, altar, coals. 
So if you were taking your like list to go to Kroger for forgiveness, this is the list you'd have. No substitutions. This is a click list item. They can't like tell you, oh, we don't really have a bull. Can we get you like a camel or something? No, this is, it's got to be this. This is what was necessary. And not just a priest, the high priest. And not just the high priest whenever he wanted, one time, once a year. And all this comes, this very particular idea in this particular way comes from the very first verse. And what we read is our Old Testament passage. For Aaron, the high priest, his sons went to offer this unauthorized fire to God. We don't fully grasp or know, and the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot more than that. But as best that we can interpret and the best that commentators can give us, they tried to enter into the Holy of Holies wrongly. They tried to go before the presence of God with this fire wrongly, and they were killed. So what God is saying, hey, I'm a holy God. You know that, but I need you to remember that. So I'm going to give you the specific way to do it. And not only just to come before me, but come before me that you might be forgiven, that you might be atoned for. So we now have the ingredients and now the process. We got to remember, we got to go to the tabernacle as a reminder of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that God's people had. When they moved from place to place, they set it up. And the inside was the holy place, which is where the altar was, where they did sacrifices. Then a curtain into the most holy place, or the holy of holies, which stood the Ark of the Covenant, which included the testimony of the Ten Commandments, and the mercy seat on top. You are not allowed to go past the curtain except for there. So in that, we've got these ten easy steps. If you want to be forgiven, here's ten easy steps, Okay. Now, it's really funny. It got me thinking because I'm like that. I just Googled 10 easy steps to see what would show up. You know how there at the top front page, you could find 10 easy steps on how to suffer. That was a really interesting thing. 10 easy steps on how to teach a child to read. Good. That's a good one. 10 easy steps on how to make a decision was on there. 10 easy steps on how to talk with the dead. Okay. My favorite, 10 easy steps on how to overthrow a small country. (laughs) I'm not sure who's testing that out. So if you go home today and type in 10 easy steps, I hope you're teaching a kid to read or making a hard decision. That's what I'm hoping for. The rest of it, that's on you. 10 easy steps. This sounds so easy, right? Let's look at these steps. First, bathing. That sounds easy enough. The priest had to go and get himself cleaned up. And after he did that, it was dressing, number two. And this is really a key and important point. We got a picture up here. This is what the high priest would typically look like. Adorned, gold, scarlet, beautiful, would set himself apart. But on this day, what God says is, no, I want you to put on the holy linens. I want you to take off all the stuff that you deserve to wear as the high priest and put on this other outfit that looks just like everybody else. Actually, it's probably more like a servant would wear. As an important distinction, the priest now becomes a servant. And that's the first step in the process for him. I want you to do this first. And then after he gets dressed, he has to do a whole list of other things. Number three, casting lots. Now, this could either be rolling dice or it could have been drawing out. There's different ways it's described in the Bible. But what he would do is he would take these two goats. Remember, we've got all these ingredients. We've now dealt with the priest, check. We've now dealt with the garments, check. Now we've got the goats. And he would cast lots over them. 
And each of them got something. One was dedicated to the Lord. He was the winner and he got killed. The other one was dedicated to be sent out and he doesn't die and he's going to be set aside for later. But this idea was that God was in charge of this whole process. This was not for man to decide anything. Because you know what would be really easy for Aaron in this circumstance and situation is to doubt that he did it all right. If he's picking the sacrifice, what if I pick the wrong sacrifice? And imagine how hard it would be for Aaron to trust that this would work because he's about to walk in to the place where his sons died. As he does all this for the people, there's a constant reminder of loss for him. So for him to doubt at all, he's like, I'm going to do exactly as God prescribes. So he chooses which one. And then he burns incense. Says he takes some coals from the fire and incense to make a cloud. He brings that into the Holy of Holies. Why? So he can't see the mercy seat. The mercy seat is where God's presence was. When his cloud descended over the tabernacle, God says, I'm there in your midst. And what does he tell Moses? You can't even look at my glory or you'll die. We see what happened to Aaron's sons. So he brings in this incense to create this smoke screen and cloud that he might not see where God is and might not see God's presence in there for his own protection because God is so holy. If he looks upon him, he'd die. Again, God protecting through this process. Then the sacrifice, and this is when things get interesting. God says now you need to kill the bull. And you kill the bull and you, like, you split its blood, and he does it for who? For himself and for his family. The first sacrifice is not for the people. The first sacrifice is not for the tabernacle. The first sacrifice is for the priest who needed to be forgiven too. He makes that first sacrifice for he and his entire family. He must also be forgiven even to be used by God through this process. So imagine killing a bull and spilling the blood of a bull and making these sacrifices. We read it as this really small thing. This was a huge undertaking to make this an offering before the Lord. Then when he's done with that, he gets the goat, goat number one, the winner, and he kills that goat. And the picture that we get is that what sin deserved is death, and that is now on these sacrifices. They are taking the place of God's people and enduring the wrath their sin deserved. Sacrificing the bull, sacrificing the goat, bringing the blood in. And then the next part is the sprinkling. Awkward and weird in some ways. It's not like he got to just take blood and throw it around everywhere. He had to go in specifically to sprinkle on the elements needed for atonement. The elements needed for atonement had to be atoned for because Israel's sin had polluted the tent, the tabernacle, the most holy place, the altar, the mercy seat, their sin, because this is where they would come routinely to offer sacrifices. So it has polluted it so much that on this day, the next thing that the high priest does is make atonement for the elements. And to sprinkle blood, and not sprinkle blood haphazard, not walking in, woo, woo, you know, just like flicking it wherever you want to. It says seven times on the front east side of the mercy seat. I'm so glad that I would not, I'm like east, west, north, south. Like, where am I going? Seven times to sprinkle that. Seven times to sprinkle the altar. Seven times to sprinkle the tabernacle. This, this idea of seven being this perfection. 
that making atonement for the elements would then allow for atonement to happen for the people. And that is with the blood of the sacrifice he's made for the people to cover over even the elements. And then what happens is we're scapegoating now. I don't think scapegoating is actually a word, but it just fit really nicely, so... It's amazing the words in the Bible we find that we don't know have like a biblical context. We probably use the word scapegoat a thousand times. Maybe you don't even know this is where it comes from. This idea of the goat that was second, that wasn't chosen, that is now going to be sent out. And what happens is the priest puts his hands on the head of the goat, bends down with it, and he confesses all the sins of Israel on the head of this goat. He is now taking all the sins and putting it on this goat. And then it says he sends it out in the wilderness. Now, again, if you know anything about animals, if you send it like an animal out by itself, it's just going to come back. Where the food is, where other things are, it's coming back. So there was a person's job. Imagine if this was your job. You're the scapegoat guy. Your job is to take this goat out into the wilderness and make sure it never comes back. There are some people who think they probably killed it. It doesn't say. It says it sends it out to the wilderness. And this beautiful picture of what's happening is that the sin of Israel is now being removed from the camp. All this other stuff that's taken place is taking place behind closed doors. It's Aaron in the tabernacle. This is one for all Israel to see. They've come and they watch, and they watch as their sin is being led away. Same picture we get from Psalm 103 that we read in our call to worship. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he separate us from our sins. This picture of showing our sins. Not only does he forgive our sins, he sends our sins away. He separates us from our sins. If he only did one or the other, we're still in trouble. But he does both. Sends off this goat never to return. And then at the end of that, we go back to some undressing. We've gotten some bathing. And then they burn all the sacrifices. They want nothing left. They don't want any reminder. They want only ash. So all that's left that wasn't used in the sacrifices is heaped out and burned to nothing. Ten easy steps. What did the people do? What what did the people do in this process? What, What was their part to play? What did they bring to the table to receive forgiveness? Nothing. They were even instructed to do nothing. They were instructed to be humble and to withdraw. They were told to fast and to keep from doing things. They brought nothing to the table. Imagine the loneliness that this high priest would feel to do the whole thing by himself. No one to help, no one to hold, no one to sprinkle, no one to do anything else. He alone does this in sheer loneliness for the people. And the people just believe and they confess. They come with hearts humbled in confession and they trust and believe that this was enough. They trust and they believe that this was enough. So what does this have to do with us? Andrew, we already talked about the fact law doesn't apply to us anymore. It seems kind of weird. When, when is our day of atonement? We don't celebrate Yom Kippur anymore. Some of you might, I don't know, but most of us don't. It shows up on your phone and you're like, I don't even know what this day is. And you kind of scroll scroll past it, that Earth Day, whatever else, I don't know. When is our day of atonement? It's every day. And what do we need to do? The same thing that they did is to believe and to confess. 
We don't have to wait till one time a year for our sins to be forgiven. We have access right now. You have access earlier this morning. You'll have access tomorrow, tonight, whenever you want. You can go with your sin and confess them to the Lord. Every day for you and for me is the day of atonement. And we don't have to do anything but believe and confess. Believe that his sacrifice enough and confess our sins to him. Confess his holiness and our humility. I want you to see this very intricate process that we don't have to do anymore. We don't have to have all these ingredients. We don't have to have all this process. We're not doing 10 easy steps. We don't have someone doing it for us. We don't spend our whole day waiting and wondering. That's not the way anymore. Why? Because Jesus is our priest. Hebrews would tell us that as we rock through. Jesus is our high priest. He is the one who speaks to us for God. He is the one who took off his splendor and put on the form of a servant. As Philippians would tell us, he gave up everything in heaven to become like us. He is the one who intercedes for us. He is the one who does the lonely job of getting us atonement and forgiveness. He's the one who does all the work where all we do is sit and watch and trust and confess and believe. But he's not only our priest, he's our scapegoat. He is the one on whom all our sins have been laid. All the guilt, all the shame, all the struggle, all the things that are going on in your life that you would want no one else to know about, in Christ, you know what they do? They go on to him. All of your sin. And it's cast away from you. Again, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated us from our sin. But that wasn't enough. He's also our sacrifice. He takes our sin he nails it to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. He died to be that payment, to be that ransom, to remove that sin. He did all that was necessary. If you ever wonder why we don't do sacrifices in church anymore, which would make for a really interesting Sunday, because he's the ultimate sacrifice. He is the one who died. And you know what? In the day of atonement, they knew their past sins were forgiven. And they even maybe knew that their present sins were forgiven until that moment. But their future sins, you know what they had? We got to wait till next year. We can have these moments, but we don't know that we're truly forgiven until the day of atonement again. When Christ died on the cross for you and for me, when he said, it is finished, he meant your past sins, your present sins, and all of your future sins have been paid for. They are gone. Because ultimately, the end of all things, Jesus is our forgiveness. There is only one way. We don't get forgiven by try harder or by reading more, or going to church more, or all those other things. We don't like serve the poor because that's going to earn our forgiveness. You have no hope of forgiveness outside of Jesus Christ. He's the only way. He's the only way. He's the only sacrifice that matters. He's the only sacrifice that counts for us, and we need him. But do we believe that? Do we trust and believe that he's enough, really, in our heart of hearts? 
Um, I, we used to go, when I did student ministry, we did this retreat every year with a bunch of other student ministry people. We had different speakers come in, and I remember one specifically who came and talked to us, and he said, you know what, I bet you guys are tired. And he started to list off all the things that we did, because he knew he had been in that shoes before. You're preparing lessons, and you're spending time with students, and you're dealing with parents, and you're planning trips, and camps, and games, and everything else, and your session's probably frustrated, and your senior pastor doesn't even know what you're doing. And, and he started going through this list, and he said, you guys are tired, right? And we're like, yes, I'm so tired. He says, I bet you're tired of trying to earn your forgiveness every day. And it's one of those moments where kind of, what, what, where did that come from? That came out of left field. He goes, I've been in your shoes. How often do you start the day beating yourself up and end the day beating yourself up? How often do you make a list of things you didn't do rather than be accomplishing the things that you did do? How often do you really believe that Jesus loves you? How often do you really live out of his forgiveness or how much of what you do is because you're just not sure? And if I try harder, and if I work harder, and if I pray more, and if I have a longer list of things to do, then maybe that's enough. And he said, how is that working for you guys today? I don't think it's just youth pastors that feel that way. I think we walk into a new year if we're not careful with a laundry list of things that we've just not done enough of. We've got to be better. We've got to try harder. We've got to do all this. And I'm not saying it's not good to read your Bible and go to church and to love people and care. All that stuff is super important. But if we don't fully understand and grasp the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ, all those are done for the wrong reasons. And all those, instead of bringing life to us, they just deplete us over and over again. If I'm reading my Bible because I think God needs me to or because I have to or because I'm supposed to, if I'm loving other people because it's the right thing to do, my encouragement to you for 2023 is I want you to fully embrace and understand the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that is available for you. That it wasn't 10 easy steps that brought your forgiveness, it was one. His death on the cross for you. And because of that, he looks at you and he loves you. He has forgiven you. He has ransomed you. He has removed all the guilt and sin and shame that you find yourself weighed down by on every day. He has taken it far away from you. And when we fully grasp that and fully understand that, not in this cognitive way, like, oh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me, but in a real, when I didn't deserve it, while I was still a sinner, at my worst, he died for me not because of anything I've done or anything I could do, but simply because he loves me. If we embraced that, then our heart changing and our life changing and us living for him is a totally different game. It changes everything for us because your sin and my sin has been atoned for. It is finished. And because it is finished, we may now go with freedom and joy, secure in the love of the Father that we might go love other people.